Hello, hello, and welcome to Art Pop Talk. I'm Gianna. And I'm Bianca. Bianca, would you rather talk about the virtual Golden Globes with me or watch Emily in Paris? (laughs) Well, watching the Golden Globes on my own was treacherous enough. Nevertheless, I think that would be my go-to because I am excited to talk about it with you. In today's episode, we are recapping our first APT Happy Hour, where we played art and pop get-to-know-you games. We've got a lot of pop and art news to go over from Lady Gaga's dogs to a new inscription found on Edvard Munch's famous screen. And of course, we'll need to work through some thoughts on the latest award ceremony, but it will be less about analyzing skits and celebrity cameos and more about the corruption within the organization that gives out those Golden Globe Awards. Stick around for the last part of the episode where we will finish with a discussion on some of the nominated motion pictures and television shows themselves. How you doing, sister? Hello, hello. Um, <laughs> I missed you. I feel like, I don't know, it's been a, a minute since I've seen you. Happy spring, Happy Gianna. spring. I am going to see you soon, oh though. Gosh. I know, I know. So I am going to be able to go to Oklahoma for spring break. I am making the drive yet again, but I'm so excited. And it's not that far away. And I just, I feel like March 1st is the first day of spring. And I'm just really excited about it. I feel like even though it's the year mark of our world turning upside down, I'm excited. I feel good. Yeah. I've been getting memories about installing my capstone show. Like, this was one year ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) that happened. Well, we have a lot of little things, I think, to talk about today. I feel like there were a lot of pop stories that took place this past week that you and I haven't really been able to talk about. So since we are going to be talking about the Golden Globes today, and I think it was maybe a less eventful ceremony than usual, we have a little bit more time to work into some of those stories. But first, Gianna, Audrey, and I were so thrilled to have all of you who attended Art Pop Talk's first happy hour. It was so fun, and especially for a Zoom event. I mean, Gianna, I don't know about you, but that was the most fun I've ever had in a Zoom event, and I hope that we can do it in person at some point. But Gianna, what did you think? Yes, I had so much fun. I loved the would you rather meets art questions. Mm -hmm. Those were really good. You guys asked such good questions. And we also shared some of them on our story to keep everybody in the loop. So it was so much fun. We also had some folks come on who also talk about art and pop culture through their own social media so part of me felt like like ah this is like a meeting of like the four families of of tiktok art history yes the four accounts of tiktok art history (laughs) supposed to just meeting (laughs) no i felt like it was really good and i just long to meet everybody and see that impact that we're making and thank you everyone for also just being so involved and really making an effort to get to know everyone and talk about your own interests and just talk about it with each other and we just really appreciated all that absolutely it was so fun 
And just so you all know, we have scheduled a second happy hour for April 22nd at 6 p.m. Central Time. So if you haven't signed up to be on our monthly e-newsletter list, definitely go to artpoptalk.com and sign up for happy hour updates and more. And I'm just so excited to do it again, and I can't wait to see you guys again. Okay, so before we get into some art news, Gianna, I think that I have two things that I want to talk to you about. First of all, Lady Gaga's dogs getting stolen, her precious dog walker, Ryan Fisher, and the fact that they were safely returned and that Ryan is expected to make a full recovery. Oh my gosh. This was truly such a surprising development of events. I mean, that was that was wild. It was also it wasn't funny, but I mean, all of my friends who know that I'm such a Lady Gaga stan were like texting me pictures and articles and were asking me if I was okay. And I was like, no, I'm not okay. (laughs) I know. I'm so happy that the dogs are back. I'm so happy that Ryan was okay. This is horrible. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely horrible, but I am glad that everybody is at least in, in recovery and, and doing somewhat okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you all have heard about this by now. It it took place actually very quickly, like over the weekend. I mean, a Thursday to yesterday, I was hearing about it. But in addition to the arts, you know, we just always feel a personal need to talk about some of Lady Gaga's news. And we send our love to her and to Ryan and the precious pups. Mm -hmm. I was also with my best friend, Dr. Alyssa Green, over the weekend to celebrate her birthday. So happy birthday, Miss Alyssa. And I've talked about her before, but she's an emergency vet. And she was telling me about how there's been a huge rise in dog nappings of French bulldogs because they're such a popular breed right now. And Mm -hmm. I know Alyssa and I have talked a lot about art and animals, uh, and we're really excited to do an episode on that soon. So hopefully come April, we can get her on the pod and she can be our animal news correspondent. I was asking her so many questions about it this weekend. Mm -hmm. Okay, Gianna, the second story I wanted to talk to you about is Emmanuel Acho's announcement that he will host the After the Final Rose episode following the Chris Harrison interview he did on Rachel Lindsay's platform. So I'm not sure how many of you watch the show, watch The Bachelor, or follow Rachel Lindsay, who actually has just recently deactivated her Instagram account because of just absolutely uncalled for hate towards her and oh it's just it's ridiculous but Gianna and I have talked about the complications of quote-unquote reality tv acknowledging that we watch it but under this strange lens that it's both real and not real these are highly constructed stories and personas and aesthetics and Reality television has a stake on our visual culture nonetheless. So even if you watch or you don't watch, it is still running through so much of what takes place visually in our contemporary world. So again, regardless of if you watch it or not, some people do. And this is what we're going to talk about with the Golden Globes in a bit. But even though it's dumb and silly and not everybody feels the need to participate in that 
it it completely adds to social and visual politics that correspond to people and maybe even your real experiences so yeah i am i'm so glad that we're talking about this i just feel like this is going to translate so well into some of the thoughts that i have about the golden globes so please continue bianca so i'm not going to get into a recap of what happened if you want one i will link it in the show notes for you but i'm going to link rachel Lindsay's episode of her podcast higher learning where she does talk about it. But it was just announced that Chris Harrison won't be finishing out the current season with Matt James as The Bachelor, the first Black Bachelor, and that Emmanuel Acho will be hosting the After the Final Rose episode. And I know Gianna and I have talked about Emmanuel a bit on this show. We just adore him, and we love his web series, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, and the book, which was released under the same title. So... Gianna, I just wanted to see what you thought about this and Acho taking over for what likely very well be an uncomfortable conversation, but a a completely necessary one for those interested in The Bachelor and The Bachelor franchise as a whole. Yeah, I well, I'm very excited about his presence on The Bachelor. I think it's going to be extremely interesting and in obviously important and I'm really looking forward to it as you said Bianca I'm I mean we absolutely adore Emmanuel on APT um the only thing for me is though after hearing Chris Harrison's conversation with Rachel Lindsay it also Mm -hmm. feels like a way for him him to avoid the his own hot seat yeah Uh, and that that's interesting yeah like and that's the biggest issue for me like please have Emmanuel Acho on the show please bring more people into the conversation but that doesn't also excuse you for continuing to jump ship on your own platform Chris Harrison oh Gianna that's fascinating I would love for Chris Harrison to be put in the hot seat if you will yeah after the final rose it's his damn show like yeah and I mean I listen to Rachel Lindsay's podcast and it's not it's not my place to say what Rachel needs from Chris Mm -hmm. but I think that seeing him have an uncomfortable conversation it could really acknowledge that I mean I think it proved that he's also just very incapable of of handling that and I right. That's the other issue. Right. Is that and if so, he couldn't do it on Rachel's platform, yes. So I don't this know. this call to action that we're seeing in Bachelor Nation and Bachelor history, and what's going to happen at, after the final rose, will be extremely uh, pivotal for mm-hmm. Bachelor history and how we want this reality show to move forward. And quite frankly, I'm. I'm not feeling confident that Chris Harrison will be able to handle it. If you are not able to be here present in this moment, then please have Emmanuel Acho take over your job. I would love nothing more oh than to see that. I would I would love to see him on my screen every Monday. I just because you I need a host and a person who's able to facilitate these kinds of difficult conversations. Of course. Um and yeah, so it'll it'll be the most dramatic season of The Bachelor yet. <laughs> True. And this time, I believe it. And guess what, Chris? You're not even going to be there for it. Like, uh, the hypocrisy is just pretty out clear world. out of this world. I know. I know. 
So again, I think the point of Gianna and I talking about this is that we'll we'll circle back to this these same kind of talking points when we get to the Golden Globes, but whether you have stake in it or not, you do because we all need to make this world a better place and it's dumb, but unless we all boycott things like the Golden Globes and The Bachelor at the same time, it's going to take a little bit more work and understanding one another. So um, yeah, I'm really excited. But Mm -hmm. on that note, are we ready for some art news? Yes, I believe we are ready for some art news. We have a couple of different highlights for today, starting with a secret message written on Edvard Munch's infamous The Scream. It was confirmed this month that the phrase written in pencil in the top left corner of the painting, quote, can only have been painted by a madman, was put there by the artist himself. Because there has been debate whether that was actually written by Munch himself over speculation that it could have been vandalized. But a new test conducted by the National Museum of Norway used technology to analyze the hand, handwriting and compared it with the writing in one of the artist's letters and diaries. And it has now been confirmed that the words were written by Munch himself. So I didn't know this was on this work of art. So I was really surprised when this broke the news recently. But all in all, this painting has a complex and somewhat mysterious history in the sense that if you don't know much about the scream, because this painting is a pretty famous work of art, you know, these things might be a little bit surprising. But for one thing, this is done on cardboard. Munch actually painted four versions of this scream. There are two that are considered more formal renditions and then two that are thought of as more like sketches. And he had many duplicates of this work as well and turning the image into a lithographic print sold in black and white variations. Merging a couple other topics of interest for us on the pod, versions of the scream have been stolen multiple times. In February of 1994, four art thieves broke into Oslo's National Gallery and stole the version of the scream and boldly left a note that said, quote, thanks for the poor security, (laughs) which I think is a very (laughs) important part of this art heist. The painting was recovered three months later, and in 2004, armed and masked art thieves stole the 1910 version of the scream and Munch's Madonna from the Munch Museum in Oslo. The works were recovered two years later, and only some of those thieves were convicted. Some of them were not. Lastly, in 2012, the 1895 pastel version was sold at Sotheby's in London for $120 million, which was a record sale for the artwork. And it's my understanding that this work is actually still under that uh, private collection, but it is uh, a lot of the times put uh, and lent on loan to other museums. Yeah, I mean, this was like a cute little art news story. For some reason, I'm just, I'm a little surprised that so many people were talking about this inscription and the confidence they now have to say that this was done by the artist himself. Personally, I feel as though the quote that it could only have been painted by a madman just seems a little bit obvious that it was 
Munk, I mean, just if you know the artist and you know his work. It's a little on the nose. It's a little on the nose, but, you know, I love a good art historical confirmation. One for the textbooks. uh, One that's not just cherry-picked, but uh, some good hard evidence never hurts in the realm of art history. No, I love some good hard evidence. I just feel as though we have this technology called eyeballs, and I know that that looking at handwriting and analyzing that is probably more complex, so please, this is just a joke. But also, like, could we not have cracked this mystery, like, a a little bit ago? (laughs) No, that's what I... That's what I thought too. I mean, I'm so I saw this breaking headline about Moon. I was like, "Whoa, what's going on?" I was like, "Is this from like 1980?" I mean, like, I don't know. like it's cute. It's cute, and uh, I'm I don't whatever. Know if I'm it's, happy. I mean, obviously, this work is appropriated a lot. It's it's used in TV shows. Like, there was a Doctor Who episode about it. Like, there. I think it just adds to that You're idea right. that there is this like mysticism about this painting a, a little bit or this oil pastel I, work um yeah yeah it also adds a little bit more to monk's character because mm-hmm. sometimes whenever we we look at famous art we don't always understand the life of the artist if it's someone who's you know a little less familiar with diving into the biographical history of an artist so this does add another layer that i hope will get added into different kinds of conversations yeah i think we need some merch that talks about good hard evidence (laughs) i love some good hard evidence (laughs) so i also gianna have a little art news maybe it's not art news just an art experience perhaps Mm. i would like to share so yesterday I was in the city visiting Alyssa, and for the first time ever, I went to the Museum of Natural History in NYC. Oh, you've never been before? I've never been before. It was so fun. (laughs) It was so fun. It freaks me out. I'm like Oh, Gianna, you would not have survived. You would not have survived. No, I don't recommend you going, actually. I've been. I don't recommend it. Yeah, I was scared. I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think about that. That's so funny. So I just wanted to share a really interesting little mini exhibition or like a conversational didactic that was up regarding uh, the statue outside of the museum. At the front of the steps of the Natural History Museum, there's a huge statue of Teddy Roosevelt flanked by a Native American figure and an African figure. It was commissioned in 1925 to, quote, celebrate the U.S. president as a devoted naturalist and author of works on natural history. Roosevelt's father was one of the founders of the museum, and in the didactics, the museum says that it remains proud of its connection to the Roosevelt family, but they see the very problematic racial hierarchy that the statue promotes and conveys. Inside the museum, they had a really cool setup where they had like videos and interviews with people from all different backgrounds and perspectives. They had the history of the statue. They had a great timeline. They had information on all of the figures and really great information on the Native American and the African figure, where they come from, why they're in the statue. And then they had some didactics on 
questions that get asked and that should be asked when we are considering monuments. And they also had responses from all different people in regards to the question, so what should happen next? And I just, I was really impressed with the presentation of a really important conversation that's taking place right now. And Gianna and I have talked about this on the show quite a bit. And I just thought it was so cool how museums can make this conversation accessible for people who might not be asking the right questions or they have opinions, but they don't know how to articulate it and they don't know the context behind it. And it forces you, it really forces you to engage with people who have a different perspective than you might have. And so I I just thought it was really cool. We'll post pictures of the installation on our Instagram. And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts and if there's any other museum professionals uh, who have like opinions on the curatorial positioning of of the little didactics. I would love to hear about that. And it was announced that plans are underway to remove the statue, but that the museum will remain the site of New York State's official memorial to Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, I think this is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing this, Bianca. This is just proof. We've talked about situations like this and other pieces of problematic art that's Mm -hmm. still on display. And within a museum context, that's the whole point. You said to your advantage, you can you can have this work of art and we can talk about it. And these didactics that you're showing look really uh, incredible how they break down each aspect of, of the artwork and and facilitating that conversation. And like, honestly, like that's truly all we're asking for at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I just thought it was so cool to see a museum take a really hard question and a, a problem that is complicated. I mean, there, there's right and wrong and, there are are nuances behind this for art historians and archivists mm-hmm. and scholars. And I think the museum just did such a great thing by by putting those questions back onto the audience. Yeah. And and it's also during COVID when, you know, there's no tours, there's not a ton of in-person conversations with like a lecturer, with a professor, with a, a docent. Like mm-hmm. it, I think I think it was just also presented in such an accessible way during COVID as Mm -hmm. well, where it can be hard to, to have those questions answered or to truthfully like look at yourself and your perspectives and then open your eyes to someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this, this statue is quite interesting. Uh, I mean, the, the racial hierarchy being displayed is, is just reinforced by the actual visual hierarchy of it all. Oh, and and yeah. someone who's so in tune to analyzing works of art and, and monuments might think that's a total obvious, but Bianca, you, you really said it there. It is completely understandable and appropriate to also assume that people might not be asking all the right questions and, mm-hmm. and, posing questions as I can see here on one of the didactics uh, is really important to mm-hmm. facilitate to facilitate those questions for the viewer to ask themselves what is going on here yeah. um, so wow yeah this was great thank you for sharing oh yeah I'm excited to hear everyone's thoughts because again I I am sure I don't know everything about this and you know what it would be really cool to hear someone else's perspective on that <laughs> All right. Well, should we get into today's art pop talk? Oh, I suppose I'm ready. (laughs) 
Okay, fam, so for today's Art Pop Talk, we are going to dive into the Golden Globes. We are not only going to do a recap of the award show itself, we'll talk about some of our favorite films and television series that were and weren't nominated while acknowledging the issues and hypocrisy of this award show where personal and corporate biases seem to dictate the nominations and the winners. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. I mean, I know I've said it before, but I just, I have the very unpopular opinion that I love watching award shows. And I know, I really know that a lot of people don't and they hate it and that's totally fine. But I thoroughly, usually enjoy the experience (laughs) and you know, just like what we were talking about with The Bachelor, we know that they don't mean anything on the short term. But it's also just in the moment, it's a cute and fun thing to, for me at least, to watch a bunch of pretty people with money, like get dressed up and hang out. And I like seeing celebrity interactions. Like I just, I just do. I just enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) However, I think that kind of on the long term, I don't know, in terms of film history and visual culture, these award shows do fall into and and they set a precedent for how moving images are consumed and how stories were told and who was included and what conversations and in what circles. And, And I think personally, I think it does matter for the long term. And maybe that's another conversation to have about what dictates the history books and, and what gets written about in terms of art. But I think it is still worth it for us to have a conversation about awards on art (laughs) Mm -hmm. because people and stories and artworks matter Mm -hmm. and and I think sometimes there's a there's a a view that it's it's silliness it's superficial and it is but at the same time looking back at art and film history those those awards and those movies kind of stood the test of time and I think it's important that if we want diversity, equity, inclusion in our stories to reflect our actual world, we should have that conversation about what awards get get sent out. Um, and so I just, I think that television and film are, are part of art history, you know, no doubt. So we're, we're very much living in that. Yes. And that's all to say too, definitely stick around for the later half of our episode where I'm definitely will reiterate some of the points that Bianca just made in regards to this idea of the silliness of award shows, but also not to be misleaded that these clearly do have an impact on popular culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good place to start kind of opening with information we have received about the 2021 Golden Globe nominations, learning about the corruption within the organization that gives these awards out. And why this year, like years past, how the Golden Globe nominations sometimes seem a bit off to us because Mm -hmm. these choices are being dictated by corporate politics and personal gain. And yet we in the industry continue to use this award show to help dictate Oscar nominations to various degrees, even if that's a small degree. Mm -hmm. It's still important to understand why and learn about what's going on here. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk more about that connection to the Oscars as well, because I also think that 
that in the sh- in the short term, in the now, if you see something, if you hear something about the Golden Globes and you think it's up for an Oscar nom because there's all this buzz around it, you're probably more likely to watch and learn about that story than one that didn't get nominated for, for the Globes. And so I, I, I think that there's also a thread there with buzz oh. leads to consumption, leads to education about stories and people. So of course. Before I go off any more, Gianna, can you talk about what happened this year? Yes. So I would like to talk about the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, the HFPA, which is a group that gives out the Golden Globe Awards and was founded in 1943 for the purpose of, quote, formalizing their relationship with the studios and facilitate their work of interviewing movie stars and film directors for publications around the world. To be in this organization, you are supposed to live in Southern California and cover stories about the Hollywood industry for non-American publications. But investigators have discovered that a number of people in the HFPA are still affiliated with or work with high-profile American publications. Some are even actors and producers within Hollywood. The HFPA is currently composed of about 80 to 90, I want to say this year it was 87 people, uh, none of who are black. And we now have information about the corruption of the HFPA because of lawsuits and former members and journalists speaking out about their experience being affiliated with them in the past. So the question is, why do the Golden Globes seem to persist through their own chaos and toxicity that they themselves created and perpetuated? Pointed out by film critic Alyssa Wilkinson from a Vox article I came across is that there are many different awards within the entertainment industry given out by journalists, and those awards can be considered pretty prestigious and recognized in high regard by people in the industry, even more so than the Golden Globes, perhaps. It's that the Golden Globes seem to be on our pop culture radar because they are a huge, big televised production. And this brings me to our next big player and financial backer, which is NBC. So NBC adopted the Golden Globes in 1995, and it's been broadcasted through them ever since. And NBC pays a lot of money in order to do so, not only to put on the production of the award show, but to pay the HFPA millions of dollars directly each year. And most of that money received by this group uh, is some of it is used for uh, philanthropic purposes, but most of it goes back into paying the members themselves. Now, going back to the more internal corruption of the HFPA, NBC money aside, one of the biggest issues with this group is that receiving bribes and being literally courted by other production companies and projects seem to be the biggest ethical dilemma here. The thing that I'm most curious about is is this is a pretty known thing that takes place and people who have been recipients of the Golden Globe Awards have spoken out about this hypocrisy and deception of the HFPA, you know, don't be fooled by the Golden Globes like you know, we all know what's going on here. And yet there seems to be this normalization and passiveness where we all know what's going on. And yet 
extreme changes have not been made in this particular issue. We have research on the subject of can a Golden Globe be bought all the way back going to the 80s where it seems like, yeah, a award was actually literally just bought and paid for straight up. There is the exchange of goods and bribes. And now flash forward to this year where the topic in particular is directly linked to Emily in Paris. We talked about the Emily in Paris debacle a bit a couple of APT episodes back. But yeah, these members of the HFPA were not just wined and dined on this set visit. They flew to Paris, probably first class, on the Paramount Network's dime because the Paramount Network first produced the show and then sold it to Netflix. They put them up in extravagant hotels interspersed with who knows even what and how much that all costs. Again, the fascinating thing about this whole issue and production companies schmoozing these members is that it is not a secret at all. So just to emphasize this point, if I haven't already, is that what's going on with the Golden Globes and the HFPA isn't necessarily an isolated issue. The production companies will go to a lot of means to sway voters when it comes to awards. So they are equally a player in perpetuating this corruption just as much as this particular organization is. But we are focusing on them today because of the significance that the Golden Globes have, thus the impact of the HFPA. I do think it's interesting that this group does feel like one or at least one that we know about that movie productions in particular target or saw after. And I think that does have a lot to do with what they are mainly after, which is an Academy Award. Right, right. So I just, I need to say we all knew there was something up with Emily in Paris. I know we talked about it a few episodes back, but some strange part of me is relieved to know that it was bought and that it wasn't actually based on taste or merit that it it was just it was trash and that was paid for and i'm sorry that was harsh but also i'm not sorry (laughs) i was about to make like a super self-deprecating joke because my art is like actually made of trash (laughs) i feel like same girl same you and emily are just on the same level So, yeah, I mean, again, back to this point about the Academy Award, I think that's that's another big takeaway for me, that the Golden Globes can sometimes feel like a a prediction of who gets the Oscar, which is the real prize, you know? So I just, I don't know. I think what I'm, I'm getting really fed up, though, with having the same conversation that it is a running joke, that the Golden Globes just are a are a big joke and they don't matter but yet people like me are still gonna like want to watch them and I am obviously not a person of color so my experiences and views are limited to certain categories within this feeling of tiredness and exhaustion to the point about you know there's never enough women nominated there's never enough people of color nominated there's never enough queer people the stories told don't speak to the diverse lives and accurate representations of people who get marginalized and I'm just I'm so sick of the joke that Hollywood needs to do better because it's every single award show 
there's a joke about it and I understand that it is a like it's a comedy sketch show it's like it's it's meant to be fun and light but at the same time I think again these types of things hold weight and making contemporary lives better and more inclusive it should be like taken more seriously after like the umpteenth time that you know this joke is being made and I I I want instead of like Tina and Amy's funny commentary on that topic specifically I think like next award show I want a PowerPoint with an action plan do you know what I mean like I, I want Amy and Tina to present to me an action plan with all the HFPA board members, with all the people at the Academy Awards. And anyway, all that aside, I just, I'm going to need that PowerPoint next time. But yeah, let's let's move on. No, but I mean, honestly, I would really love a good PowerPoint. Like, I, I don't think that's too much to ask at this point. And qu- quite frankly, I know that this is entertainment, but I also am so past the point, as you said, Bianca, of everything being a joke. And sometimes, guess what? Not everything does need to be a joke. And I'm also tired, quite frankly, of NBC's two favorite white ladies whole- hosting the show all the time. Oh, I know. Uh, like... I, I just let's mix it up here, folks. Agreed. Um, all right. Well, I think on that note, I think we'll take a little break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about the show itself and some of the Golden Globe nominations and some of the moments from the award show. everyone I say we just get into it Bianca I know you were out of town for the weekend but you were able to watch the Golden Globes correct yes I did watch and I I don't know I was disappointed but I also wouldn't have expected much I I do think that out of the award shows we've watched like the Emmys and the VMAs had something pretty good about them that wasn't replicated in the Golden Globes like I didn't hate the Emmys or the VMAs and this was not a super enjoyable experience for me and I I listened to a podcast this morning the What A Day podcast and Gideon said something like his sum of this year's Golden Globes was this could have been an email (laughs) and I I do not disagree I I honestly kind of now that I've seen it, would have preferred maybe just not to have one. Or like maybe they had a 30-minute special where they read the winners or something. Well, I don't know. I well, just, I don't know. I didn't love it. But yeah, and I, I, I feel that like what that means, this could have been an email because the witty banter between Faye and Polar, who hosted again this year, I thought you know, kind of went by really fast and moved along pretty efficiently, which Mm -hmm. I didn't mind because 
the skits we had for the Emmys just weren't it for me. And I just don't think that this kind of humor translates well when there isn't that direct audience mm-hmm. and also the impact of our social and political culture this year. It just is is too real. And I'm just tired mm-hmm. of everything being a joke Agreed. and making a joke out of the role that the entertainment industry plays in that. So I kind of was glad to see that at least this award show took shape in a way that was different from what we saw in the Emmys Mm -hmm. with really only one short skit with Kenan Thompson and Maya Rudolph, which was super weird. weird. I I just don't understand. I just don't (laughs) understand. Also, like if you're going to choose like one thing to do I just didn't get it but whatever um but if that if that was the only like awkward celebrity skit we had to yeah get through then I guess by all means but we did have an appearance from three HFPA members who addressed us directly informing Mm -hmm. us that they are going to strive for a more inclusive group and we did get jokes about the HFPA and commentary from Faye and Polar. Of course, I'm glad that this was addressed to some degree. But other than the slam, like the small slam we got on Emily in yeah. Paris, we like didn't nothing. we didn't get any mention of other forms of corruption that take place within this group. They only specifically address the fact that they do not have any black members in the HFPA and mm-hmm. they are going to do better in the future. The other point of Faye's and Polar's opener that I felt was worth critiquing was that I felt like they were trying to brush off these issues by using the idea that award shows are just silly. 1000%, Gianna. 1000%. It was so uncomfortable. It was so that. uncomfortable. And and that was also like their opening, you know, banter yeah. as well. Uh-huh. And it just it just got my eyes rolling. Essentially, we know the HFPA has a bunch of work to do, but award shows are just silly and meaningless, and it's all just a construct created by Big Red Carpet. And although, sure, we can say that we need to take award shows with a grain of salt, and there's maybe some truth to that, awards may be silly, but they clearly have an impact within the industry, and they still carry important clout and have a major, major impact on popular culture and the way that this industry has run. So, Mm -hmm. yes, the accountability is still extremely important. And as to women in the industry too it just I I just was like oh I I have to sit through this and I need to watch this because it is important and also I do want to have a conversation Mm -hmm. about this on art pop talk but I was just like damn I don't know Gianna I couldn't have said it better truly I I agree with it was still a brush off it was it was still a brush off yes it totally was I I think that, like, what I like about award shows are the silliness for just being silly. And I loved the – what I did love about their, like, opening commentary was the breakdown of TV versus movies. Like, Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cute. And it's it's fitting and it's silly 
and it talks about like the the different categories of the awards in an and what I thought was like an, a nice okay way where I don't need jokes about having no black journalists when that's a really serious thing like I just I thought that was so strange but the other thing I will say like the other skit if you want to call it that I liked was the celebrities talking to the physicians like to all the doctors and yeah I thought that when Tina Fey was doing like Margaret Thatcher on Mm -hmm. the ground I was I was cackling and the Bridgerton the Bridgerton is hot and bothered and she was like enjoy it I thought that see that was like cute and funny Mm -hmm. and I'm glad that they got to highlight healthcare workers and I also did I mean I think I thought it was great that healthcare and essential workers were the audience for the night, but they also made that joke about celebrities getting to stay home so you can come out. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I guess it's not my place. Like, it's the healthcare workers and essential workers to make that decision for themselves. Mm-hmm. But again, it was like, no, hey, but these, also, putting, these people are putting their lives on the line for you. It just <laughs> kind of goes to show how, you know, to point out the hypocrisy of, again, that joke that award shows are just silly because then you in turn just made a joke reinforcing the hierarchy within people in the entertainment industry because they have this privilege that and we are here letting letting these essential workers be here during this time so right i'm just like there was a lot of things about the humor that i liked it moved on along efficiently i like that we didn't have to sit through like treacherous skits but yeah. at the same time, I do think there needs to be a little bit more self-awareness. Yeah. So I did want to highlight some of the awards that were given out last night. We can start with Best Performance by an Actor and Actress in a Television Series was given to Catherine O'Hara and Jason Sudeikis. Um, the joke Jason's about... Hoodie. Yeah, Jason's, Jason's hoodie. Yeah, Jason's hoodie. Are you here for the mustache? I'm kind of surprisingly like... I, I have like... I'm here for Jason showing up in, like, a cue look. Yeah, yeah. I, I fully supported that. Yeah. I think I might have a crush on Jason Sudeikis. Oh, I don't know how I feel 1, about it. 1,000%. I love Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, because I'm really not a fan of, like, a porn stash, but I was like, damn, like, what is this, like, <laughs> hoodie situation? And, like, his, like, hair. I was like, oh. <laughs> um, he was just watching Bridgerton, so. I was getting, yeah, I got the hot and bothered syndrome. <laughs> Um, but the crown took home four awards for best mm-hmm. performance by an actor and actress in a television series drama and best television series drama and for best performance by an actress in a supporting role, limited series or motion picture made for television. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not surprised that Emma Corrin won for Princess Diana. I, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cute. I like it. I was a I was a little bit surprised by Josh O'Connor, but yeah. I I understand um but I do think Jillian Anderson did a really great job. I think she was just a really transformative actress mm-hmm. in that role. So um yeah. yeah, so I think that was great for her. Uh, but I was a little bit surprised by Josh O'Connor. Mm-hmm. Other than the whole like TikTok sensation of it all, I was a little bit like, huh. Yeah. Um, but Best Motion Picture for a Drama 
and Best Director for a Motion Picture went to both Nomadland and the director, Chloe Zhao. I am so happy for Chloe. I just, I'm really excited. I really loved Nomadland, but having a a woman Mm -hmm. win for Best Director and her picture won Best Motion Picture is exciting. And I, I did think this film was just so interesting in so many different ways, having it be part cinematic but also part like documentary mm-hmm. uh was so interesting and in, in having some of those actors be real people mm-hmm. and and play themselves and yeah 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 that was a um I think that's a really good watch mm-hmm. and then best motion picture for a foreign language went to Minari and that acceptance speech was the absolute cutest truly but can I can I talk about Minari for a second? Oh yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about it because in addition to all of the other Golden Globes drama, this film has also been the subject of a lot of discussion around the Globes because of the categories that it was placed into. So it's a problem in itself that the, you know, categories like this exist and for the golden globes they're sorted into three dramas musicals and comedies and foreign language the golden globes determined that minari which is a semi-autobiographical film about a korean american family during the 1980s in arkansas features too much korean dialogue to compete in best drama And therefore, it was put into Best Foreign Language Film. Mm. And the same thing happened with The Farewell, the movie Aquafina was in last Last year. year. Um, And the HFPA kind of makes the case that while it is an American film, much of The Farewell took place in China. But Minari takes place entirely in America and is telling the most American of stories. It's about the American dream and the struggle of immigrants to achieve those dreams without losing too much of themselves and their old cultures and cultures that aren't inherently part of them. And the HFPA said that the line for dividing or making this category is that 70% of the film is non-English dialogue. But this led to some people talking about the fact that Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards was not slotted into foreign language despite its scenes in German and French, which I don't know the percentage, like I haven't done the math, but the HFPA made the argument that the foreign language category is just as prestigious as any other and that films are in no way diminished by competing in the best foreign language category. However, um, for drama and musical comedy, they th- those two other categories get best actor, best actress, and foreign language doesn't. And best drama and best musical comedy are awarded at the end of the night and best foreign language appears mm-hmm. earlier in the night as far as broadcast goes. And the Globes themselves, they create that sense that foreign language is, quote unquote, a lesser category than drama or musical comedy, which like. Well, also, too. Yeah, it, it's just, oh, my gosh, I 
I can't with this because also we're we're also talking about Hollywood, which is the American film industry at the same time. So it, there's just so like there's so much brushing off in that statement of the fact that the all awards carry the same weight, especially again when we're talking about the Golden Globes that do have that impact for Oscar nominations, and we've seen the same things happen within the Oscars as well. Yeah, I wanted to um, read a quote by Daniel Day Kim. Um, He tweeted that, quote, This is the film equivalent of being told to go back to your country when that country is actually America. And then the director of The Farewell, Lulu Wang, tweeted, quote, I have not seen a more American film than Minari this year. It is a story about an immigrant family in America pursuing the American dream. We really need to change these antiquated rules that characterize American as only English speaking. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody go watch Minari. To end for today, the last thing that I wanted to mention was Best Actor and Actress in a Motion Picture Drama, which was Andrea Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday, which I actually watched last night after watching the Golden Globes, and um, I would definitely highly recommend watching it. Andrea Day is just absolutely transformative in that role. And then we have Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And I have not been able to watch that yet. That is on my to-do list for this evening, actually. Um, the speech for Chadwick. I, I was I not well. And the aside from that, so beautiful. She looked so oh, stunning. It, incredibly. And like, I'm going to like cry just thinking about it. Ah! Um. Like, just listen to the words, like, she's saying and the, and the impact that he had on so many young people, especially. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was, I was not expecting no. that. It's all just, like, coming back to me. I, but, I've heard, um, yeah, multiple people say the same thing on re- recapping that or trying to have that conversation, talking about it on the news this morning. It was oh, so gosh. moving. Oh, now I'm going to cry. <laughs> so I know. I know. <laughs> it was so moving and I so know. truly beautiful. And um, it, Ma Rainey's the... Black Bottom, I did watch, I've watched that. I have yet to see Andre Day uh, in, as Billie Holiday. I've heard some interesting things about that as well. So I'm kind of, I'm, this, I'm ready to were... watch and kind of dive in a little bit. Yeah, and there's so much about her life that I don't know, and there were some plot lines, because time moves so fast in the movie, and there's not really distinct, like, markers of of time, mm-hmm. and so the, the timeline of it all, as a person who's just not super familiar with her history, was a, a little bit confusing to me, but, but overall... Um, completely a uh, transformative role in her playing Billie Holiday. But on that, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to APT today. We love you all, and we will talk to you all on Tuesday. Bye, everyone. Bye. Art Pop Talk's production assistant is Audrey Kaminsky. Music and sounds by Josh Turner. Photography is by Adrian Turner. And our graphic designer is Sid Hammond.